Hello, I'm Dr. Ruth Schmidt-Nevin, clinical psychologist and child and adolescent psychotherapist. Welcome to Talking Child Development, the podcast of the Association of Child and Family Development in Melbourne, Australia. The association is a not-for-profit organisation that aims to disseminate information about all aspects of child, adolescent and family development to other professionals and the wider community. In these podcasts, we delve a little deeper into the whys and wherefores of child, adolescent and family life and try to get away from a focus that's purely behavioural and quick fix based. You can find more information on our website at www.acfd.com.au. You can also access the references mentioned here on the website. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Ryan Carters, the founder of DadFit, a new organization that challenges male stereotypes to create stronger families and communities. Ryan was previously a professional cricketer and gave up his eight-year professional cricket career to pursue a career contributing to social change. He spent two years at Harvard University as a John Monash scholar studying public policy and leadership. He founded and led the education-based charity Batting for Change, which focuses on alleviating poverty and gender discrimination in developing cricket-playing nations by supporting access to higher education. Using the sporting metaphor further, Ryan's current ambition is to make fathering, or as he puts it, dadding, a team sport again. Welcome, Ryan. Can you tell us about your personal and professional background and how you became interested in social change is- issues, and in particular, setting up the organization DadFit? Hi, Ruth. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So, in answer to your question, when I started out fresh out of high school, I became a professional cricket player. And that was my childhood dream come true. I was playing with and against my childhood heroes. And in the first couple of years, that was really exciting. But as time went on and I grew um, I grew into my young adulthood, uh, I found traveling throughout the cricket playing world that the level of inequality was really stark. And I was lucky to play in India, um, you know, England, Hong Kong, South Africa, so a wide variety of countries that play cricket. And increasingly, I became interested in what we could do using this vehicle of cricket to support people who have more disadvantaged backgrounds. And I set up an organization called Batting for Change that you mentioned in the introduction that focused on alleviating poverty and gender discrimination by predominantly supporting women with higher education scholarships in developing cricket countries. And I was really thrilled by the level of support we found in the professional cricket community for that initiative and the idea of bringing, uh, using sport to support gender equality more broadly. Um, as time went on, however, and then I finished my cricket career and went and did my master's overseas and came back, became a stepdad at a young age in my early to mid twenties. And then I became a dad of two. So now we have three children in total. Um, and I found that to be a really hard transition, a very lonely time um, trying to work out how to be a father. And I didn't necessarily see um, role models in my peers about how we can correctly balance or, you know, find the right balance between career and family life as men, because a lot of us are looking for a different answer to what we saw in our parents and what they role modeled. And so I realized there's a real opportunity here to support dad's mental health and parenting skills. And by doing so, it's going to do wonders for 
um, for mother's health and for child health and development as well if we're successful. So coming back to my initial focus on gender equality as a young adult, this feels like addressing it from a different angle, which is focusing on supporting dads. That sounds absolutely amazing. I think you make a very important point about father's health is mother's health and mother's health is father's health. You know, the two complement each other, absolutely. Um, just thinking about your interest in sport and your experience of sport, I'm mindful of the enormous impact of sport in Australia and the experience um, you've had as a, a professional cricketer. There are also so many families involved in playing sport and fathers are often very generous of their time in coaching children's teams. How do you think this energy, which is sort of community energy, can mm. be harnessed into the wider issue of parenting and fathering? Well, the reason we use the metaphor of let's make dating a team sport again is because I think a lot of men intuitively get what it feels like to be part of a team in a sporting context from some point in our childhoods. And often being a dad doesn't feel like that. It feels like something you're trying to work out on your own. And men, for some reason, don't tend to talk to each other about that, about what's really going on in their family lives. I think we're socialised to talk about work, to talk about sport, to talk about cars and other so-called masculine things. Um, and so the idea of making dadding a team sport again is let's let's bring that great camaraderie and team spirit that we see in teams of men on the sports field into our personal lives and particularly as dads. And as you said, a lot of dads put a lot of effort into supporting kids um, in their own sporting and physical activities as well. And what we've found so far is that um, physical activity is a great way to engage dads in the first instance in these positive conversations about fathering. Um, so our five-week program for Dad Fit, each week the dads meet for two hours. And the first hour is physical exercise. We do some funny team building games involving my kids' toys. We also do a workout. And then the second hour is a dad chat. It's a chance for dads to get together and um, in a facilitated conversation about different themes in their lives as dads. So usually there's a one week where we focus on the relationship with your child, Another one, which more about your partner relationship or co-parenting for separated dads. Uh, one week focuses on your own mental health and self-care. And another week is about finding work-life balance. Um, and it's just it's just an amazing thing. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy facilitating the sessions. Every week, I'm surprised and impressed by the experiences that dads share. And what it becomes a healthy cycle where the dads are learning from each other. Um, you might not have thought about trying something, a particular activity with the kids on the weekend or a way of supporting your partner. And when you hear another dad say that in a session, we um, we often see the dads go away and try that in their own lives in the week that comes. And then the following week, you can get back and debrief. So that's what I mean by let's make dating a team sport. It sounds, it sounds very, very interesting. Do you run these groups in Melbourne? We do, yeah. We currently have um, a, a handful of areas in the centre of Melbourne where we operate our groups and we're planning to expand significantly next year into an yeah, increasing number of areas throughout Melbourne and then into regional Victoria. And do you run them yourself or do you have a, a group of people who help you? Um, to start with, I've been running them mostly myself. We have two other facilitators coming on board now for DadFit. Um, they also have professional sporting backgrounds and experience in social services. So we really look for facilitators who are who are dads and can speak to that lived experience, um, who have the sport and fitness background, but also have the sensitivity to mental health and facilitating programs. 
So you combine, you actually get everybody active to start with and rather than talking to start with. That, that's very interesting. Yeah, one of the one of my favorite pieces of feedback from one of the participants so far is he um I asked him how he'd summarize the program and he said, Dad chats powered by endorphins. And you do really get that great energy in the room after a workout together because when you've when you've sweated, <laughs> you get the endorphins flowing and you feel a sense of camaraderie. It sounds absolutely terrific. Um, I came across your details in, in the excellent piece you wrote for the newspaper, The Age, on Father's Day, very significantly. And in that article, you mentioned the great loneliness that men and fathers experience, as well as an increase in their poor mental health. Why do you think this has become so problematic? I think men have been lonely for quite a long time. And the statistics show that the age that you become a father, say in your 30s and 40s, is a particularly high risk period for male loneliness. 43% of men in Australia um, report that they're lonely. And anecdotally, for a lot of the dads we work with, I've heard stories where they feel like they had a great social network through high school. And then if they went to university, university um, and in their early career, and then as time goes on, you know, maybe you move cities and lose a few friends and then you have children and you lose a few more friends because of the demands of caring for a baby. Um, and you can suddenly find yourself as a father with a much reduced social network at a time of life when you most need it. So that's that's the idea of dad fit is rather than waiting for a crisis to hit in men's lives and that prompting people to reach out, why don't we celebrate becoming a dad by creating a community of support for those dads? Um, and I can re relate to that myself. As, as I wrote in the piece you mentioned, I am a big fan of the TV show Bluey. And I realized at one point that the when my children made me a bandit healer card for Father's Day last year, that I actually knew so much about bandit healers' personal life from watching every episode of Bluey on repeat with my kids. Uh, but for a lot of my friends, um, I didn't actually know the details of their personal lives or how they interacted with their kids very closely because when life's busy, it's hard to catch up very often. Uh, so DadFit is trying to pro provide a structured way for men to do that in their local communities. So. Yeah, imagine if every dad had a team of 12 to 15 other dads within the local neighborhood who he was seeing every week, having these great conversations with. I think that would be amazing. It's interesting because uh, women sort of naturally find groups like that, don't they? Um, uh, because women, I mean, the, having a baby is, uh, is about the greatest change you can ever go through in your life. I mean, there really is nothing else that could ever match that. But women uh, traditionally are able to connect with other women around that. And you made an interesting point. You said, you know, men have, they make friends at school, they make friends at uni or in sporting clubs or whatever. But perhaps th um, their friendships don't extend into the next big transition in their relationships. Yeah, I think um, you know, it's not true of every family, but in a lot of families, it is the mothers. who it, It's a bit of a stereotype that the mothers are the ones forming those social support networks. Uh, and of course, mothers still do two thirds of domestic labor and childcare in the first five years of a child's life in Australia. So mothers face a bigger burden with childcare, but they also tend to have better support networks because they've been socialized to form those support networks. Absolutely. Um, whereas men have not really been socialized to do that. So often they find themselves lonely at that time of life. Yes. I think that sort of leads into my next question, which is about 
um, you're you're saying that you want to reshape the narrative of modern Australian fatherhood, and and which is very much about men having different kinds of conversations, isn't it, about their children and their vulnerabilities and about relationships. Do you think that men are perhaps inherently anxious about having these sorts of conversations with each other, which may make them appear too weak? Do you think there's some sort of rivalry going on, some sort of male instinctive male rivalry, which makes it difficult for them to have those sorts of conversations? Uh, I don't think it's an instinctive rivalry. I think it's more there aren't a lot of spaces culturally for men to have those conversations. What I've seen through dad food is when you create the spaces in an intentional way, uh, the men have no trouble having the conversations when the space is provided. Uh, But it does take one or two people in the group to lead off with a bit of vulnerability to show that that's the tone in the group and and that will be supported. And then most others are happy to join once, once you have those leaders who take the step. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to see. I remember the first ever dad fit session. I asked the question, who is your dad hero or role model? And, you know, we weren't even halfway around the room before men were in tears because some talked about their own dads. Um, I remember one shared a story about his grandfather who had carved wooden toys for his grandchildren and he still kept the wooden toys and his, his grandfather's long since passed away. And there was another dad who shared a story of a, a close friend of his who moved back to country Victoria, uh, essentially deciding that a city career wasn't going to give him the family balance that he wanted and he could find that balance in the country. So he you know, made a hard decision about his own career for the benefit of his children. And these stories are so beautiful that, and we don't often hear them from men because men are not often in spaces where that question is asked. So, it, I, yeah, Dad fits all about trying to let these conversations happen. Happen. You don't really have to force it. You just have to create the holding space. I guess really following on from that, um, that you there really need to be many, many more spaces, don't there? Um, but that can only come from men themselves. You know, I think I think women probably have created a lot of spaces for themselves, but I think you're absolutely right. But they, they really need to be able to find the spaces where, where those sorts of conversations can be um, had. Um, we know now, even in the beginning of a new century, that there are still entrenched uh, attitudes about gender roles um, in which, as you say, men are perceived as the main providers, while women still, despite often being in the workplace themselves, do most of the domestic care and care for children. Do you think that women can help by demanding more of their partners? I I wouldn't place that responsibility on women. I think, as you put it, um, it's up to men to step up for the most part. We're at at an interesting time in history, right, where social norms say that people should be equal caregivers in families. I I saw a survey that said roughly 85% of Australian adults agree with that. Um, But in practice, those traditional gender roles still come back in quite a hard and biting way for a lot of families in the early years. So there's a disconnect between what we say we value and how we're actually living, I think, in a lot of cases. And I was um, an example of that. I think I, in hindsight, I worked too hard in the early years of being a dad And if I had my time again, would have taken more time off or worked shorter hours to have more of that quality time with my children. Um, 
I think that so men starting to talk more openly about that and how we really want to be active caregiving dads, I think will really start to change the cultural narrative um, rather than expecting women to be the ones demanding it because women have been demanding it for a long time and, you know, good on them. Uh, I think it's up to men to really step up and, and take a lead role. And uh, I, I get excited thinking with DadFit, what if we, um, and, and you know, and other organisations, but what if we played a role in supporting the first generation of equal caregiving fathers? Because up until now, you've seen it from time to time, but it's always an outlier. It's rare to see that um, as the norm. You mean that um, in terms of work, uh, in terms of the allocation of work or leave? I mean, in terms of the allocation of caregiving, like unpaid work. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, because as I mentioned before, women are still doing two thirds typically of the unpaid work in households where there are children under five and then men are working longer hours in paid work. And I'm not saying um, that that might that's not the right solution for some families. That could be the right solution. Um, one of the dads in DadFit recently shared how he ran into um, another dad at childcare who was there every day at drop off and pick up. Um, and there are increasingly more dads doing that, but it's still more mothers who you would see than dads mm -hmm. typically. And he said, uh, it was nice to see that because I don't often see that outside of the dad fit dads. I thought, oh, that's a nice little indication about um, we're trying to create a culture that stands for something, you know, in, in dad fit. Yeah. He suggested that we're the kind of dads who talk about this stuff and are really leaning into being active caregivers. I think that's very important. But, I, you know, I still think somehow there has to be a conversation between men and women that, you know, many years ago I was involved in setting up a, a national organisation in the UK called Exploring Parenthood, which was for, pe pe for all parents coming along and talking about various issues around parenting. And the very first workshop we ran had many more women than men. And the, the women started to complain and to say, where are all the men? Where are all the men? And then the conversation got around to the how did the, had the women invited their partners if they had partners? And one woman said, oh, I told my husband this morning, I'm going to this workshop called Exploring Parenthood. You don't want to come, do you? And everyone shrieked with laughter because it actually conveyed something about the position of whose whose territory is parenting, mm. you know that that because I think it is, in some ways I think women also have to feel that um, they they want to share it, but they are able to really to give up something and to say, well, you know, I, I'm actually not going to do this. This is over to you. Mm. Um, so I, I I think there's there's a conversation perhaps that needs to be had, but. Um, and, and that sort of takes me to my next question, which is in my clinical work with children and parents, I always insist on fathers being present from the outset, which has an enormously positive impact on the therapeutic work. But I'm also surprised at how when it, on the main, say, the mother might ring me um, and say, can I come and see you about my child? And I, you know, then I'm slightly sort of, challenging and say are you parenting on your own or no no you know we're parenting together so in fact this is the the child that is the father's child as well as the mother's child but it's interesting how many women make an assumption that their partners will not their male partners won't come or I won't need to see them or they the mothers hold all the information and history and they also hold 
the um, uh, whatever treatment or, or therapy or whatever has to happen, they're going to do all of that. And I have to spend a lot of time with both mothers and fathers at the outset to make clear that that's not going to happen in the kind of therapy that I offer because that's really working with your hands tied behind your back. Mm. Uh, but And interestingly, when fathers do arrive, we can start moving, you know, and 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 work very rapidly often. But why is it that men and fathers may see their presence as insignificant or of less value? Is that something you've come across that that men will th- that there's some sort of strange division about? Well, this is the woman's job. That you know, it, whatever mm-hmm. problem arises, the woman's going to sort of pick it up and run with it, and they then they do. Uh, I think. Um... Historically, that's been true in a sense. And, and so you only have to look back a couple of generations, like in Australia, the, uh, in our early history, um, since Federation, a judgment was made that the minimum wage should be that which can you know, allow a man to support his wife and three children. Uh, so there was explicitly in policy this idea that the man is the breadwinner and the, and the mother is the carer. Um, and while we, we've come a long way, I think, you know, um, deep in our cultural memory, that's there's something still true about that. And it's easy for families if they're not being intentional about conversations in the early years of having children, about how we're going to divide up tasks and responsibilities. It's quite easy to just default onto those same sort of railway tracks that have come through the generations. Um, and then I think once you do it, you have this sort of confidence and experience gap, which you might have been hinting at when you said the mothers hold all the information. Where, you know, for example, if 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 you if you're the only one who's ever booked and been to a medical appointment for your child in the first five years of their life, then you do have an advantage in doing that because you know the doctors personally. You've been there for all the other appointments. You know the symptoms well, um, and so then you know that those divisions can become entrenched over time. I really like that you're encouraging fathers to be active in the clinical work that you do, because I can imagine without being a clinician myself, I can imagine that that would be hugely beneficial for the family members and could start to rewrite that cultural script one family at a time. Absolutely. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Um, um, I'd just like to go on to talk a bit about the workplace and workplace demands. And I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. Um that there's no doubt that the workplace demands are a contributing factor to the segregation of roles. Um, There was a time some years ago when we hoped that there was a willingness for organisations and workplaces to create a more flexible environment for parents. But this seems to have got lost in recent times, unless I'm very wrong. And today we see lip service paid to family-friendly environments, while the workplace demands have become quite merciless. I do, you know I don't feel there's any other word for that, and and workplace demands now break through the boundary of the family home through technology, and working all hours from home. Do you see yourself and your organisation being able to create cultural change in this context? I mean, also, do you agree with that sort of summary that I've just made, or do you think it's too extreme? Uh, my view would be a bit more balanced about the pros and cons or or things that might have changed in recent years with workplace culture. I think there are some bright spots as well as some challenges. And we discuss this in our dad's groups quite often. 
as you can imagine. And what I often hear is that COVID has allowed more flexibility and the dads really appreciate being able to do things like drop school drop-offs and pickups more frequently than they would have before 2020. Um, because the workplace now understands that you can go off and do these things during the what was previously the work day where you'd be stuck in the office or the work site. Um, but on the flip side, it's also created an always-on mindset. Work from home means that um, you don't clock off. You know, you know, you can always be there to respond to an email on your on your phone or laptop. And I think a lot of parents, from the conversations I've heard, find it really hard. And I do personally to make that switch from your work day into your family day when you're not physically leaving an office. Um, you know, your phone notifications are still on. You can either be thinking about work or literally looking at your phone while your kids are trying to talk to you, which is not the dad I want to be. Um, but I do think that the way the modern workplace works means you have to set those boundaries um, yourself. For example, putting your phone in another room or not checking your emails at certain hours or else the endless notifications will will weigh you down and drain that energy. Um, in terms of like other forms of workplace support, I think uh, so there are some improvements when it comes to parental leave. I think the more progressive workplaces now are offering larger amounts of parental leave and they're offering them regardless of gender, which is a positive step forward. Um, and I think something that DadFit helps with and where we hope to support some cultural change is supporting fathers who are returning to work. Uh, there are programs for parents returning to work in several workplaces today, and but they tend to be taken up by mothers and, and often they're seen as more mother support programs. And that's fantastic that we have the programs because mothers really need it even more so than fathers. But something we're doing in our work with workplaces through DadFit is designing programs to help dads return to work and encouraging them to have those honest conversations within their family unit about you know, who's going to be working full-time, who's going to be working part-time, who's going to be managing the other practical responsibilities week to week. Um, and I've been really actually impressed by some of the um, human resources managers um, who we work with at various organisations who are seeing this in a way of, well, we really want a gender equal workplace and as long as it's not normal for dads to be working part-time after having children or for dads to be taking more extended parental leave, as long as that's seen as something mothers do and not dads, then we're not going to have a gender equal workplace. So they can see the importance of working with fathers as well. Does that mean you do quite a lot of work in, in the workplace? Do you do, uh, do you run workshops or, or set up some sort of consultancies in, in, in the workplace? Yeah, I do workshops and presentations in workplaces. Mm -hmm. um, DadFit, we work with community groups in local neighbourhoods, partnering with community organisations. We also work in workplaces and sporting organisations. That sounds really terrific. Um, and then just finally, I'd, I'd like to return to your comment about changing the narrative of fatherhood. And I suppose as a clinician, I believe that's of the greatest importance for the future generations of children, both boys and girls. But I believe it's something that needs to start in early childhood and in the kinds of conversations that fathers and also mothers need to have with their children. And what are your thoughts about this and the impact your organisation can have in these early years? I completely agree. The early years are critical. Um, a, because we know scientifically they're critical for child development, um, but they're also critical for establishing roles between the parents. I think it's much harder to turn around and become equal caregiving parents 
mm. if you spent five years having sharply divided gender roles in that sense. So I, I'm all about early intervention in the early years. Um, and that's where DadFit predominantly targets in our programs currently with the idea that you can then support dads throughout the rest of their parenting journey. Um, if you're able to get them in those first couple of years and start normalizing these conversations, that's great. As for parents speaking to their children, I'm interested in your point there. Um, I guess you mean when the children are a bit older rather than their first couple of years. Well, I now actually think from a very early age, because I think gender roles and and divisions are put in place at this very early age. I mean, in the in the sense of the kinds of toys that children get, the right. way they're dressed, uh, the way they're presented to the world. You know, from a very very young age, that already has a uh, has has already taken place. And that's why I wonder whether there needs to be a different set of expectations, but maybe particularly around boys or, you know, what do boys do as opposed to what do girls do and how gender defined is that really still in, in so many families? Yeah, I think the the idea of starting early with those conversations that might not be words, but as you say, it's actions about what kinds of toys do you provide your children or clothes do you buy um, is, is really important. And I think it's not about preventing a child from becoming who they want to become. It's more enabling the range of possibilities, like not not shoehorning them into a particular identity um, that may not be right for them. I think that's right. But, I, but perhaps also having expectations about, I mean, I'm just trying to think of sort of perhaps very conventional families where they may have a, a, a meal, you know, and then at the end, you know, maybe we've all been we've all been there where you're sitting at a table and all the women rise and pick up the plates and start clearing everything. And the men sit back, some of them actually younger than the women who've got up and have arranged, you know, to take the plates to the dishwasher or whatever. Um, you know, and you think, how did this ever come about? Uh, and and these are sometimes in families who, with people who consider themselves to be very modern and very progressive. Mm. Um, and you wonder well, how how was it that that those young men thought that it was okay to sit there, and why did the women think that it was okay for them to get up and clear the table? I mean, it's a terribly simple example, but I've it, seen this no, it, it's a telling example, and I, I I've been um, guilty of being the young man in that. In that example myself, for sure, over the years. I think if you don't talk about it and bring it to light, either as a couple or, or in your friendship groups, then you're unlikely to make progress on it just on your own. Because uh, that's, I think, we, cultural learning tends to happen as a collective more so than as an individual. Um, and the other thing I would say is that uh, what you do speaks louder than what you say to your children. So, for example, with phone use, um, something we often talk about in our dad's groups is you're telling your children not to be addicted to screen time, but you yourself are role modeling being addicted to your work emails. And uh, so it, you need to kind of establish how you're going to relate to that in your own life. If you really want to role model it to your children, because I think, yeah, telling your children what to do or how to be is pretty ineffective if you're unable to role model that. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Uh, and I think the, the the business of phone use, you know, is very it's very important, isn't it? Um, and and modelling that. Um, so, thank you so much, Ryan, for your time. And I really look forward to hearing about how your organisation develops and 
you know, would love to know more as time goes on and, and hope we can stay in touch. Yeah, thanks, Ruth. Me too. I look forward to staying in touch and uh, continuing to work with dads. I really love what I do. And um, it's one of those areas of life where no one's perfect. We're all just trying to work it out in a messy environment. So it's so great to be doing that together. Absolutely. Well, all power to you in your work. And thank you so much. Thanks, Ruth. Hello, this is Dr. Ruth Schmidt-Nevin again. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. You may be interested to know about my audio trainings based on the many trainings I have run throughout Australia and overseas. These include training on relationships, attachment and the brain, time-limited psychodynamic psychotherapy, and skill building in therapeutic work. You can access the details of all my trainings on my website, which is at www.centerforchildandfamily.com. That's A-N-D, so www.centerforchildandfamily.com. Thank you.